The Old Testament is filled with expectation, with prophecies, and, and a hope, and looking to one who would come, the promised one, the Messiah, the Savior. Looking for that time where, as we know, that the Son of God, the eternal God the Son, the eternal Son, would be born. And there are many prophecies in the Old Testament, and we'd like to look at a few of those this morning relating to this. The first messianic prophecy in the Bible is in those opening pages in the book of Genesis. It is, in fact, just after the fall, just after the fall of man, this incredible prophecy of given, is given of one who would come, who would redeem fallen men. And we find it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And this is God speaking to the serpent after the fall. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And the picture there is the death blow to a serpent, the heel to the head. And Jesus was the one who is predicted would be the redeemer and come and get ultimate victory over, over the serpent, over, over Satan. And we look ahead to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. That's echoing what we just read in Genesis 3 born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, not only was it predicted that he would be born of a woman, but that he would be born of a virgin. That a virgin would actually conceive and give birth. And this is found in Isaiah 7.14, 700 years BC. Let's look at that together. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel is not so much of a name as much as a description of who he was and is. God with us. So this verse tells us that God with us, that God would be born as a man by a virgin. Let's pick it up in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1. This is where the angel visits and, and gives this incredible proclamation. Let's look here in Matthew 1.18. We read it together at the beginning. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to encourage you to hang on every word this morning. Every word in the inspired account is so crucial, so beautiful, so important, and as it lays a foundation for our faith. It says she was found with child of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. This is after she was betrothed, before their marriage was actually consummated. They were betrothed, or sometimes the word espoused is used. It's where we get the word spouse from. And what would happen, it was effectively a binding contract, yet the marriage wasn't physically consummated yet. There would be a time of uh, fidelity until afterwards they would get married, etc., and, and consummate the marriage and have children, etc. 
to get out of the betrothal would still require a divorce. So effectively, it's seen as a, as a, as a, a binding contract. And during this period of fidelity was when Mary was found to be pregnant. And we could imagine that this might cause quite a dilemma and trauma in the heart of Joseph, who loved her, who trusted her, and was looking to their future. And all of a sudden, he hears of this. And let's look at the next verse here. Then Joseph, her husband, effectively still called the husband in this binding contract, being a just man, which means he was a true Old Testament believer. He was one of the believing remnants who honored God and honored the law and therefore could not marry her in this condition. The law said he could charge her openly in a public court, which obviously would bring uh, shame and public example. But we read, not wanting to make her a public example was minded putting her away secretly. So again, according to the law, a bill of divorcement could be written, and it could be done privately that no one would know what the grounds for the divorce was, and this is what he was planning to do. So verse 20, while he thought about these things, now I don't know how long he thought about those things, as he sat on a wall somewhere or walked through the field somewhere and thought about his situation and what this would mean he would put her away quietly and why would she do this? She has broken my heart. I trusted her, etc. And he's thinking these things and while that happened, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Not a dream as we would think of, but more like a vision. Crystal clear clarity, no question that God was speaking to him in this dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And there we have that phrase again, conceived in her of the Holy Spirit. So what is clear is that Joseph was not the father. He was not the biological father, though he came effectively the legal father. Now, the scriptures are very careful to protect this important truth that Jesus was born of a virgin and and Mary was his biological mother, but Joseph was not his biological father. The Bible never refers to Joseph as the father, only Mary as the mother. Let's skip ahead to the next chapter. I'll show you a few verses. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother. Take the young child and his mother. It doesn't refer to Joseph as the father. Also, in the same chapter, verse 20, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. Verse 21, and then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came to the land of Israel. So three times or more, there are clear, careful recordings that Joseph was not the father. He's not listed as the father. In this same chapter, um, this is when Jesus was 12 years old. Remember the account where he stays in Jerusalem and he gets lost from the company. Remember that? This is in verse 43. 
When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. Right? Interesting. Refers to Mary as his mother, but never calls Joseph the father. Verse uh, 48, when they returned, they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. So Mary refers to Joseph as the father. But look at what Jesus says in response. Why do you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? There's a clear statement, and we could even say a more accurate uh, presentation of the truth there. My Father in heaven. Also back in Matthew 1, in the genealogy, even in the details of the genealogy, the truth of the virgin birth is carefully protected. In Matthew 1.16, in the genealogy, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And of course, here, the verb is in the feminine. It's Mary of whom Jesus was born. In Luke's genealogy, in Luke chapter 3, look at this. And now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, and then Luke adds, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. It was supposed that he was. People looked to that and came to that conclusion. But in truth, he was not the son of Joseph. Let's go back to, to uh, the account with Joseph and the angel back in Matthew 1. And he continues and he says, And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the name Jesus means the Lord shall save. Now the narrative breaks. This is what the angel has said. And now Matthew uh, chimes in in verse 22 and says, All this was done so that it may be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. And he takes a moment to tell us what that means being translated, God with us. Now, Matthew's audience was particularly for the Jewish audience, the Jewish reader. For them, prophecy and the fulfillment thereof was so, so important, which is why Matthew, more than any of the other Gospels, makes reference to this was done so the prophecy could be fulfilled, showing that this particular prophecy, and let, let it create wonder in our hearts, 700 years beforehand was written and then fulfilled when the Messiah came. We remember, we know that many of the hymns, particularly the Christmas carols, record some of these truths so clearly and so beautifully. Let me read to you. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all you nations, rise, join the triumphs of the skies. Nature rise and worship him who is born at Bethlehem. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. And this, this is the verse, listen. 
veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail thy incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Wow, I get chills just reading that. This was God, and he became a man, the eternal son, the second member of the Trinity, uh, being incarnate, taking on flesh, coming to dwell among us. This is recorded in perhaps among the most profound words of the New Testament found in the opening of the Gospel of John, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does that say? The Word was what? The Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and also the Word was God. That's an allusion to the Trinity. The Son was with the Father, and the Father and the Son were God, and they were together, and Jesus was there in the beginning. The Son, verse 2 says that, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And then we skip to verse 14 where it clearly says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when you string that together, the word who was God, who was in the beginning, who through him all things were created, here it is, became flesh and dwelt among us. Someone once said, well, I think the first verse that makes an allusion to Jesus in the Old Testament is Genesis 3.15. That's that messianic prophecy that we read. And I corrected them and said, no, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the Trinity all involved in that incredible event. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Another prophecy echoing this incredible truth is found also in Isaiah chapter 9. And let's look at it together. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, these titles are given to the babe born in the manger. They are given to the son who, who is given, the child who is born. Now, don't get thrown off by the phrase everlasting father. This is not identifying Jesus as the father, as in the member of the Trinity. It, the Trinity is not in view in this particular verse. It's referring to his character and activities as the Messiah who would be on the earth. Descriptive picture of the father-like heart that he expressed. It's not his name or position in the Trinity. Don't stumble over that, but look at this phrase. Just before that, mighty God. It couldn't be said any clearer that the child who was born was mighty God. Amazing. So clear from that, that prophecy, God the Son was born as a human baby. Now, when Gabriel made the declaration to Mary, this is over in Luke's account. Follow with me in Luke chapter 131. The angel says, You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. 
when they got together and you know, got the book of names out, it wasn't needed. They both knew. They were both told exactly what his name would be. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. Look in verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now let's go back to Matthew 1, to, to, to Joseph's account. And then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep after this vision, after this announcement, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him Mary as his wife. Now, I always think in that moment, that which is the most terrible situation (laughs) became such an incredible joy and blessing of grace in his life. That which was so terrible became something which was so amazing, and he would recognize such grace upon him and, of course, upon Mary. And verse 25 says, And he did not know her, this means physically, until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, there was no physical relationship until after the birth of Jesus. Now, in the Catholic Church, they teach that Mary was a virgin at birth and also all the way through her life and perpetually uh, was a virgin at the Mass of Penitential Rites where they asked prayers from the Blessed Mary ever virgin. The belief that Mary was a virgin always was held even by some of the early church fathers like Athanasius, Jerome, Augustine believed it. Augustine in AD 411 said, Mary was a virgin conceiving, yes, a virgin bearing, a virgin pregnant, yes, a virgin bringing forth, yes, a virgin perpetual, no. That's not correct. It's not true. Look at the verse again. She did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And the phrase there, firstborn, is important because it was the first of others. She would actually have other children. He he was God's only begotten, but Mary's firstborn. Again, the scripture is very careful with that. Let me read a, a couple of verses later in the Gospels. Matthew 12, 46. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. And one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside to speak with you. So he had brothers, right? Matthew 13, 35. They said, is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother called Mary and his brothers? And then it names them, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters. Are they not all with us? So how you can hold on to the doctrine of uh, a perpetual virgin, virgin and then reconcile it with these verses. It's just not possible. But you have to read your Bible to come to that conclusion. John 7, 5 also says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Again, a reference to his brothers, and of course, after the resurrection, they did believe. Let's look at another prophecy together. 
This is an astounding prophecy uh, in the book of Micah, where the small town of Bethlehem was predicted to be the birthplace of the Messiah. It was known to be the birthplace of David and also known and expected to be the place where the Messiah would be born. Let's look at that together. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, and this is distinguishing it from another Bethlehem, to be crystal clear exactly where it was, and Ephrathah means fruitfulness, and it was referring to the land particularly, but what greater fruit could be born in this land than the Messiah himself? Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. And again, these are clear messianic lines. Yet out of you, O little Bethlehem, this great destiny you have as this little obscure village, much more that you were the birthplace of David, but out of you will come one to be ruler in Israel. Notice the last description here. Whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Whose goings forth? The son that would be born, the ruler that would be born in Bethlehem, his goings forth are from old, from everlasting. There it is again. Listen to these verses, Psalm 59, 19. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from old. Habakkuk 1.12, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? Now, how could it happen that Mary would give birth to Jesus in Bethlehem when they lived in Nazareth? Well, Matthew records that the prophecy was fulfilled, but it's Luke who shows us how it was fulfilled. Let's look there quickly. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, we as lovers of the Bible and God's providential hand find wonder in our hearts when we see how God orchestrated these events, that this age-old prophecy will be fulfilled so beautifully uh, in this way. When you were registered, you would come, you would give your name, your occupation, your property, your family, etc. And, and, and this was all done, that the prophecy would be fulfilled. So they went to be registered. Everyone would have to go to the, his own city. So in verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. It's interesting that both Mary and Joseph were of the lineage of David. Um, It's particularly important here because if he wasn't of the lineage of David, they wouldn't have ended up going to Bethlehem. They would have gone somewhere else. But of course, for Jesus to be of the line of David, the son of David, that's, that's an important record. In verse 5, to be, oh, I haven't got that there. It's verse 5, to be registered by Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Verse 6, so it was that while they were there, and Luke's beautifully understated phrase here, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. Wow. 
with all of the angelic host looking in, all of the love and wonder of heaven marveling at this moment, having some understanding of what was taking place. And notice, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Manger being the feeding trough for, an, for animals and would serve actually as a sign for the shepherds. And they would wrap their newborns in wide strips of linen cloth. They would take the linen cloth, they would tightly wrap the baby in swaddling clothes as it's given. And this makes me think of another verse also in Luke at the end of the gospel. In verse 53, they took down his body, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in the tomb that was cut out of the rock. As believers, we see the connection. He was laid in the manger. He was wrapped in linen. He was laid in the manger. He would be, his body would be wrapped in linen and laid in the tomb. For the manger and the cross and the resurrection, of course, are all so connected, so beautifully woven together. For this is why he came. He was not our savior by virtue of his birth, but by virtue of his death and his resurrection. And these two great acts of humility of the bondservant of Christ, the incarnation that he would take on the form of a man and being found in the form of the man would be a servant, as a bondservant in obedience to the will of the Father. In the, he would take the cup and said, oh, would be that this cup would pass from me, but nevertheless your will be done. These two great acts of humility, the incarnation that he became a man and then also going to the cross. And this is captured for us in the most profound words in Philippians chapter 2 where it says, though he was in very nature God, bearing the same divine essence as God, he did not exploit his divinity, but rather emptied himself, taking on the, the form or the nature of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the likeness of a man, he humbled himself further and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Oh, here lies the gospel, the manger to the cross. Emmanuel, God with us. There was no other way, no other hope, no other gospel, no other means of salvation. There is no other savior, there is no other gospel than this one. That God so loved the world, he gave his son that whoever would believe in him would be eternally saved by grace through faith. How astounding that is. May our hearts be guarded from familiarity, but captured and revived again and again with a living faith as we consider him, who he is and what he has done for us. He took on flesh that he may taste death 
for every man. Look at this in Hebrews 2.14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And that links right back to the first prophecy of Genesis 3.15. The bruising or the crushing of the serpent's head. The victory and the continuing power over Satan. And we'll finish by me reading some words from uh, a carol or two. God rest, you merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Do not be dismayed about anything. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. All tidings of comfort and joy. All tidings of comfort and joy. And then lastly, what child is this? who lay to rest on Mary's lap, is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him loud or praise, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and lamb are feeding? Good Christian fear, for sinners here, the silent word is pleading. Nails, spear shall pierce him through, the cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. This, this is Christ the king, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him praise. The babe, the son of Mary. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we... Just have praise in our hearts, wonder in our hearts afresh. Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Lord. Praise you. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you took on flesh. You took part of flesh and blood, that you would taste death for every man, that you would bring victory and salvation to us as lost sinners. Oh, and how lost we were and how lost we would be without you, Jesus. Thank you for saving us by your grace. Thank you for keeping us by your grace. Oh, so great a salvation. We do not neglect it, but we embrace it. We are so thankful for it. We love you. We praise you. We thank you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you in this special season of the year. It is so enriching for us as Christians as we know the secret of the manger. We know the secret of the cross. We know the secret of the tomb. We know the secret of the throne. 
We thank you that you have shown this to us by your word and by your spirit. We pray you'll continue to unveil, to teach us, to guide us, to give us a growing hunger after your word. Oh, let every Christian here and listening in just hunger and thirst after righteousness, hunger for your word, to know you more, to, to think on the scriptures, to read and love and, and, and feed on the scriptures. Let us as a church grow in our understanding and in our faith this coming year. And if there's anyone here this morning or listening online, if you're not sure of your salvation, oh, this is why he came. He is the Savior. There is no other. There is no other. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father except through the Son. Oh, embrace him this morning. Believe in him. Say, Jesus, save me. I am a sinner. I need salvation. Please save me today by your grace. Look to him. Turn to him. Believe in him. And if you're praying that prayer, God bless you. As your journey of faith begins, continue, follow him, seek him. And then we pray together for the rest of this service, the, the song together, the children coming up, the fellowship to follow. Let us greet one another with great joy and thankfulness and grace between us. And we pray for this evening. It's a special night for our local church. We know that many will come through these doors that have never been in here before, that many will come through these doors that, that come for, for the carols but perhaps don't know the gospel, don't have you as their saviour. Oh, we pray you would pr prepare hearts, prepare this place. Let us be sensitive and aware and use us to minister. We ask and pray, just do a great work. This day we pray in Jesus' name, amen.